Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we are rereading our childhood favorites, The Babysitter's Club, one book at a time, deep diving, taking a look from a modern perspective of th- three. I don't know. I imagined an imaginary person. Sadly, no extra special guests today. <laughs> Just Kate and I. I think I was thinking 30-something and, and wishing it was 20s. <laughs> but uh, two 30-somethings taking a look at the foundation of our childhood, the Babysitter's Club. So today we are up to book 36 in the series, which is Jesse's Babysitter. So um, what did you think of this one, Kate? How are you feeling about Jesse's Babysitter? Um, I'm not sure if I was reacting partially to all of the stress that I have in my life from work and moving, but I was really annoyed by this book. <laughs> I feel like Jesse and Becca were not great. Jesse in particular. Um, Aunt Cecilia, also not great. The worst of all is the fact that nobody used their fucking words. <laughs> like, if right? anyone had had a basic conversation, obviously it would have been, there would have been no story. So I, I like, from a 10,000 feet practical, there has to be a story there so they can't all act rationally perspective. I get it. But also, Come on, guys. I was just so frustrated the whole book. Yeah, this to me smacked of a really common problem we've noted, which is when characters act out of character in order mm-hmm. to serve a plot. Like, exactly. We have seen Jessie be way more emotionally mature than this, like throughout the whole series. And and she's regressed in so many areas throughout it. And yeah. And then there's some really weird racial stuff in here that just gets really shoehorned in. and. Mm-hmm. I think that I was – I certainly came into it with the same an, a level of annoyance as you. I really expected – about halfway through, I was like, oh, boy. I know Kate's had a really stressful couple of weeks, and it's only going to get worse. And I'm cranky about this book. So I was like, we're going to be yeah, – <laughs> Like, we're going to be cranky. Yeah, we're going to have so much fun to talk about this. But I think that uh, – I wouldn't say it redeemed itself, but I think that there were some things that initially annoyed me that sort of – they stuck the landing a little bit at the end or so it, it uh, worked out better than I expected. It did have a very solid Danny Tanner moment at the end. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that I ended up way less frustrated with it than I started. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely, especially when, I, like, I was frustrated with everyone, like the kids and the adults in this. And which is, we sometimes talk about, you know, the parents of the babysitting clients, but typically our babysitter's parents were usually, especially the Ramseys, we've talked extensively mm-hmm. about how great they are. And really they do, like I said, they land that plane really well, but it takes way too long to get there. But this was definitely one that uh, came sort of flooding back to me mm-hmm. on the cover. I Like I didn't remember a lot of the details. I remembered the library but I, for some reason, I was thinking it wasn't, I didn't think it was Aunt Cecilia. I think I was thinking it was a grandma, but I don't know why that just, or like a great aunt. I, for, for some reason, I was envisioning something older is what, what I remembered. Well, she's clearly got to be older because she makes reference to like raising her own kids and she's on her own. So clearly her kids are adults. So she must be Mr. Ramsey's older sister and maybe like significantly older sister, but it's definitely his sister. So it it's sort of, yeah, it, it's it's a little like, amorphous age-wise. They definitely refer to her as his older sister. You're right, because I did note that. Mm-hmm. But she just seemed so much older than older sister. And at like, I, she must be significantly older. Right. 
which you're right, good catch on the kids. I remember, I do remember that moment now, but I didn't really process what that meant, largely probably because there was so much other timeline wonkiness and confusion happening for me that 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 detail (laughs) slipped my mind. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So as usual, we have managed to talk a lot about the book before even telling you what it's about. So let's take a step back and look at the back of the book description, and then Kate can fill us in on what actually happened. So as I mentioned, this is book 36. We are once again, actually Anna and Martin. This is like we said in our last regular book, that's where these are kind of starting to, you know, sort of filter out. I think it's sort of an interesting thing. I guess I didn't realize that she didn't just sort of stop and hand it over, Mm -hmm. but it was more of a tapering off. Yeah. But this was Anne. Uh, It was released in August of 1990. And so let's see what our highly dramatic back of the book (laughs) narrator has in store for us today. Jessie can't believe it. Her dreaded Aunt Cecilia is moving in to take care of Jessie and her brother and sister. How humiliating. Jessie is going to have a babysitter. Plus, Aunt Cecilia is a drill sergeant. She tells Jessie when to go to bed, how to wear her hair, and she even forbids her to go to a babysitter's club meeting. Jessie knows she's old enough to take care of herself, but how can she tell Aunt Cecilia that? Actually, a pretty straightforward back of the book and not like overly dramatic because it it really does feel like Jessie is saying all these things and you can hear it based on how she acts in the book like it's spot on 1000% I was going to say the same thing I said I I was thinking oh I'm having to put more juice into this than usual to get <laughs> right. that you're that ramping dramatic up reading. the drama yeah exactly yeah and it definitely like that's I mean we'll we'll certainly talk about it when we talk about some of the not great Jessiness of this book But I did note that, you know, as much as it is a little bit out of character and over the top, to a degree, I totally understand that whole end of the world, uh, you know, everything is the end of the world, ruin Mm -hmm. our family, life is over. I very much remember being that level of dramatic at their, at their age. So a hundred percent. So like literally, I think for the first time ever, Jesse in the book may have been more dramatic than Jesse in the back or the back of the book description of Jesse. So. Interesting. We took a turn there. Very true. All right. So why don't you tell us what Jessie actually got herself into? Okay. Well, this turned out to be a very long description, despite the fact that um, there's not really that much plot, but there's a lot of like Mm-mm. things that happen. And I wanted to make sure that we touched on all of them in case we're not able to actually like discuss every individual thing, because there's a lot that happens. So Jessie's specific plot in this one. We start the book with Jesse's dad bringing home a cake for a surprise announcement and celebration. Jesse is convinced, even after being explicitly told that this is not the case, that her mom is pregnant and they're getting another sibling. It turns out, however, that Jesse's mom has a job and she'll be going back to work. In addition, Mr. Ramsey's sister, Jesse's aunt Cecilia, will be moving in to the guest room to help take care of the family and the house now that both parents will be working. Jesse conceptually admits this is my, that this might be necessary, but she balks at having a babysitter because, as she points out, she's a sitter already. So Aunt Cecilia moves in with way more stuff than will fit in her room, so Jesse's immediately on edge. Then on top of that, Aunt Cecilia completely takes over running the house and managing Jesse, Becca, and Squirt. She's extremely strict and doesn't listen to anything Jesse tries to explain, even forbidding her from attending a babysitter's club meeting on an afternoon when she gets home 10 minutes late after babysitting Jackie Rodowski. Jesse and Becca are miserable and play a number of pranks on Aunt Cecilia, basically like the Van Traps, but without any reference to the sound of music, which is surprising. 
More on the science fair and the Babysitter's Club specific plot, but Jessie's piece of that plot includes her basically taking over Jackie Radowski's project because she thinks she knows best. After the science fair goes poorly due to her mishandling of the situation, Jessie speaks with her parents about everything and realizes she and Aunt Cecilia were both doing the same thing, and it helps them figure out the best path forward. And honestly, there's a significant amount of plot stupidity here because in any other book, Jessie would have had a smart and rational conversation with her parents and her aunt about how things should run in their house so they can all get along. This book also has a one-line almost throwaway from Aunt Cecilia that ties her actions into the family being black, which could have been an interesting thread and a real teachable moment, but as usual, we don't get anything beyond a surface-level reference. And as a final note, despite Jesse and Becca deserving some kind of punishment for their pranks, Aunt Cecilia has a talk with the Ramses and then basically does all the same pranks to Jesse and Becca, which seems like a terrible parenting and anting. So, the Babysitter's Club specific plot. It's the book with the science fair where everyone gets involved. <laughs> As noted, <laughs> it's, I mean, I feel like it every, almost every other book, it's like one of those where it's like, it's the one with the haunted house. It's the one with the, you know, everybody's loving whatever. It's just, it's the one with the science fair. <laughs> just Stony like Brent. It's a very, very dull town. So if there is anything happening, apparently even at the elementary school, everybody in town gives a shit. Right. <laughs> Oh, Marianne got a cat. We're all obsessed with Tigger. Like, okay, guys. <laughs> there are other things going on. But anyway, as noted, Jesse takes over Jackie's volcano project, which she wanted to do after seeing it on the Brady Bunch and thinking it looked like fun. Mallory helps Margo with her shadow box, showing what living on the moon would be like. Christy helps David Michael with his mobile of the solar system. And Stacy offers some suggestions on data keeping for Charlotte's already in progress experiment to see how music affects plant growing. The non-Jesse Babysitter's Club members are very clear that they will be helping, but not doing the projects for their kids. They stick to this and even have a conversation about how they wish they could step in, but they want to make sure the kids figure things out for themselves. Jesse isn't deterred by this conversation, even when Marianne basically calls her out. Charlotte ultimately comes in third, and the other two winners are non-Babysitter's Club charges who none of our girls know. Jesse ultimately apologizes to Jackie, and things work out well. We also get some foreshadowing at the end that Don will be going to California for their next school vacation, and Mallory mentions her dad is concerned he may be laid off. Also, this isn't in the summary, but I just remembered that Stacy has a conversation with Dr. Johansson where she also says that she's still feeling weird and she's going to go see the doctor the next time she's in New York. So we get a lot of foreshadowing mm -hmm. for future books in this book. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely was one of those things when I realized it was Anna Martin. I was like, oh, she's like staking a claim here. She's like, these are future plot points. Right, I'm exactly. In this book, so you can't, so you <laughs> I'm can't laying annoy the it. groundwork. <laughs> you can't stop it. Yeah, I, I noted all three of those as well, especially because for whatever reason, poor Mallory really um, is one of the ones that I really remember the cover for. And I like vaguely remember, I remember that that's when. That he got laid off and they were worried about being poor. And I even remember that at the time thinking, mm, something about this doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get to that one eventually. I thought I, maybe it was ne the next book, but it's we've still got a couple before that. Mm -hmm. So You mentioned Aunt Celia's uh, punishment or handling of, of the punishment. Like... Aunt, like I said, Aunt Celia sucks almost as much as everybody else does here. And, and you, like you, exactly like you called out and we, we mentioned before, Jesse would have immediately just had a rational conversation. But even more than that, the Ramses never would have like bomb dropped 
the aunt moving in and then having that happen like a week later without any conversation about here's how this is going to go right. and like what are the house rules or I don't believe for a second they didn't go over their schedules with them like right well because what are Aunt they Cecilia about? basically knows nothing about even the babysitters club I mean she knows what yeah. the babysitters club is but like when Jesse's like oh I'm going to Jackie's to babysit and she's like is that a boy and Jesse's like and I also have a babysitters club meeting and she's like whose house is it at where are you going I don't know any of these people you can't do this and Jesse's like whoa slow your roll girl like this is my life this is what I do every week like what are you talking about the fact that Aunt Cecilia knows none of that stuff is like somebody really dropped the ball on figuring out this plan and obviously things were moving quickly but like come on Right. And like the thing that you perfectly mentioned there is when she's like, well, I don't know these people, so I don't want you going there. And or I don't you know, I don't know where this is or I don't know what this is about. So no. And as an adult, like, don't you think you would ask more questions? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like she I, I don't know. It just I cannot imagine even coming into my brother's house and being like, I've not been here. I don't know your schedule at all. I don't know any of your friends, but I'm going to claim if I don't know them, you can't go there. Like, right. The logic of that makes no sense. Like, I get that they're trying to be severe, or but they're severe and then there's just, like, moron. Yeah, I, it's just her. The way that she reacts is just completely irrational. And yeah, that's the word. And, like, okay, fine. I'll I'll give the story, like, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey were so, like, stressed out about figuring out their lives and what was going to happen now that Mrs. Ramsey was going back to work. Although, Jesse does make an aside that she's been looking for a job for a while. So it's not like this happened overnight. But putting all that aside, there, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say because I don't even want to put that aside because it's so stupid that they don't even have the thought, like, maybe we should at least make a list for Aunt Cecilia. If we don't want to have a house meeting or a family meeting when she moves in, let's at least give her a list of, like you said, a schedule. If nothing else, there could be a schedule. Like every fr- every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30, Jesse goes to Claudia's house for a babysitter's mm-hmm. club meeting. It is at this address. Her phone number is X. The parent's phone number is Y. Like if nothing else, they could at least have done that. And then uh, – but again, all of this has to happen the way that it happens because otherwise the story doesn't happen. And But it's just so frustrating when the story happens like that because it's like – This makes no sense. No one would act this way, even in a children's book. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, you hit the nail on the head and really articulated what I was trying to explain what felt so wrong about Aunt Cecilia is she's behaving in a way that no rational human adult would. Like, not only did the Ramses not give her any information, but like, why wouldn't she ask any of those questions? And what kind of person has the audacity to walk into someone else's home and then say, my house, my rules? (laughs) Like, (laughs) She literally says that at one point. These are my – I'm in charge. These are my rules. What I say goes. And I'm like, I cannot imagine another human being walking into someone's house and, and deciding that their house rules now stand. That's not like their parent. And so maybe there is something to the whole, like, she is much, much older. Like, I feel like if those dynamics were maybe – more defined, or mm-hmm. even if it was his mom, that would make more sense that she would have more of that sense of being entitled to tell people how it's going. But like, as an as a sibling, like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, and also just, it could be one of those situations like what 
but again, this is us doing like fan fiction. Like someone would have to mm-hmm. make this more clear in the story. But like it could be a situation where maybe like Cecilia was, you know, 15 by the time Mr. Ramsey was born. And so she ended up doing a lot of like the family stuff to help like raise him. Maybe they have a lot of siblings. And so she was really in a more you know, parentified situation, which obviously sucks, but like maybe that's just the relationship that they have. And so she feels entitled is the wrong word, but she feels comfortable stepping into that situation and being like, okay, I'm going to make sure everything happens. Clearly everything is going off the rails. You guys are, you know, underwater with all the work that you have now that you're both working. Like, let me just fix this. And I mean, I guess she does sort of say that at some point, like, I just want, I felt like I should just do it because I... I felt like I knew what I needed to have to do and you guys needed me to do it. So I just did it. And so like that we sort of get. But like I want there to be a reason why she feels so comfortable coming into someone else's home and being like, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> and like taking over to such a degree. Like, right. Uh, there's uh, there like she just sort of bosses everybody around and she seems to even boss Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey around. So, yes. yeah, some context for how how that relationship is. Cause I think you're right. I think it's, it, it would make total sense. I mean, my dad, as I've said, is one of 13 and he's right in the middle. And e- each of the older kids sort of had a, a younger one that was, <laughs> it was like a tag team event right. or I, I don't know that was ever like as formal as that, but it just sort of, you know, the older ones were certainly a big part of keeping an eye. And my uncle still has this somewhat, you know, patriarchal relationship toward my dad, even though that, you know, that they're so far beyond that. But you establish those patterns really early in life. But even right. my uncle would never like come in and like try to run things at at the house that because no human would like that. Right. Just doesn't, <laughs> exactly. It just and we're, we're not... trying to come up with a reason why this makes sense. And it just doesn't. There's no reason why it would make sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe well, maybe there are maybe there are people in the world. I'm I, I feel horribly. Maybe, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's just no mother-in-law that exists on Reddit. And I read some of those stories just out of curiosity. And I'm like, what? People right. How are these people like real? This? Yeah. So, you know, maybe we're just very lucky. And if if you have an Aunt Cecilia in your life who feels emboldened to just come in and, and start running the show, I am so sorry. And <laughs> feel free to come talk to us. And we will. I don't know. We've got we've got lessons from the Babysitters Club that we can impart <laughs> to you. <laughs> right? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe read this book because Jesse does get there at the end, and she does. Uh, but the the other thing that was annoying too is you mentioned that Marianne like straight up calls Jesse out on it, and Jesse is being so willfully blind to mm-hmm. it that it like, and that doesn't seem like her either. She's not usually the one that's that barrel or barrel headed. That is not a phrase like <laughs> stubborn or like. She tends to be not that obtuse. She's usually much more perceptive than that. Like, this feels like a Christie plotline that sort of got passed to Jesse for some reason. Well, and it's also kind of interesting because, and obviously Nanny is a very different character than Aunt Cecilia, but like, Christy has had, like, the opposite situation happen. Like, she had an older family member move in, and everything went smoothly, and everybody gets along, and there's no question about what Nanny does and what Watson does and what Edie does. And here... It's the complete opposite. But also, like you said, you know, it, Christy would be the one just sort of like blindly charging ahead like this is b- a bunch of BS. Like I'm going to – although from a different perspective, Christy would be the one who immediately would be like, we need to have a conversation about this. That's as bull- really Like true. as as bullheaded as Christy can get, like 
in this type of situation, I, we, if if this was a Christie book, we would have it. We would be having a conversation about how Christie's acting out of character because she would never do these pranks and never talk to anyone about the concerns that she has about how their family is being managed. You're exactly right. I was really more thinking along the science fair lines. The fact that Jesse refused to see that she was taking over for Jackie, even when Marianne called her out, that seemed much more like a Christy characteristic than a Jesse characteristic. Like yeah. Jesse, to me, seems like she would have been more, much more sensitive to Marianne's gentle prodding. And even like the fact that it's Marianne prodding her about it, that seems like a, a like very much a her and Christy conversation. The fact that it's Jackie Radarsky, you know, that was more, it is interesting that she did have the nanny thing, but uh, uh, that's so similar. But I was thinking more that that, that particular plot line just sort of got like plopped on Jesse that felt much more like a, it, it felt more like something Christy would do. However, that could be because we have seen this happen. And mm-hmm. to the book's credit, so I, about halfway through the book, when, like I said, I was really annoyed for a, a hot minute there. And one of my big annoyances is I was like, oh, we're going to do this again. We've already had Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. We didn't like it the first go round. Now we're going to, we're going to do it all over again. Ugh, we talked about how nobody learns lessons. And then sure enough, the book calls out, this is just like how, what happened with Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. Remember how we didn't handle that well. We, and then showed how they learned the lesson and weren't mm-hmm. competitive. So I was like, okay, book. Okay, Anna Martin, I see you giving yeah. us what we ask for. So I we have to give major credit for that because that is like literally what we said. They never learned the lesson and here they did. Except for Jesse, which again just does not feel right. But I, I don't know. Uh, but I think maybe it was one of those things where thematically that fit really well with what was going on at home. So right. it's it it got sort of stuck together. But I think it was the one to like I could see Jesse maybe not handling Aunt Cecilia perfectly well because they're that they're that's family and it's, you know, an elder and there's a respect thing and 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 not maybe tackling that head on, but I think it would have been a more interesting book if she got she figured out what was going on with the the science fair that everybody else was, you know, taking over. And that helped her realize, oh, I think that might be what happening with Aunt Cecilia and instead come at it with her from a place of of empathy. I don't know. But then we wouldn't get the, you know, Jesse admitting that she was wrong thing too. Right. I don't know. I, I'm really conflicted about this one in the end, like I said, because by they landed the plane so well. There were a bunch of things that it did really well that – I, I wish I don't know that that like that's what I'm trying to figure out that it wasn't Jesse that it was that it was a different subplot. I, I feel like there was just something not quite right that that made it more annoying than entertaining. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I mean I really do think it 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 kind of had to happen this way because Jesse I I don't think Jesse had a girl in. Little Miss Tony Brook and Dawn. So she's never been guilty of doing this before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, like, I almost want to cut her some slack and say, and this, it's not really a great analogy, but like, she doesn't have any control at home. So she found something she could focus on and control outside of herself. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Now, I mean, that's where I'm trying to, because again, like, I'm not again, we've said this multiple times in multiple ways, but like, it doesn't make sense that Jesse would act this way based on how we know Jesse to be. So I think like headcanon is going to be, this was her attempt to control something that she, because she couldn't control even going to babysitter's club meetings because Aunt Cecilia was doing everything. She was changing her hair. She was telling them what to eat for a snack, even though Jesse... And, and we can talk about Jesse saying she can't be a fat ballerina, mm. but you know Aunt Cecilia yeah. saying cookies and milk are good snacks for after school. You should have that. And Jesse says I always have a sandwich because it's you know healthier. And you know I, we eat lunch really early. And Aunt Cecilia saying well cookies are for snacks, so you have to eat your two cookies. And that I don't know if that's where the no it, she comes she talks about um, camping a be a fat ballerina after talking about how Aunt Cecilia says that she has to clean her plate, which. You shouldn't yeah. force kids to clean their plates regardless, but not because it's going to make them fat, but because it's going to give them potentially issues with food and having to eat everything on their plate. And no one needs to be forced to eat or not eat. It's just a thing that I think back in the 1990 was a thing that parents said probably far more than they oh, say yeah. now. But looking back, seeing that, it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's not a great thing. And at least Jesse kind of pushes back on it, but it's pushing back for the wrong reason from my perspective. 1,000, I agree, cosign on all of that. I had that same thing. I was like, ugh, I hate that that pushing back on the clean your plate message, which it can be so damaging by I can't be a fat ballerina, like the actual method of pushing back. I was like, damn it, so close. (laughs) And I think that's actually, I think that's kind of like a metaphor for the whole book, like close but no cigar. (laughs) And actually, as you were talking about Jessie and her perspective and how you know, why she took over with Jackie. I think it also makes sense too. like, she is feeling very insecure about her babysitting abilities. Clearly, because they brought in Aunt Cecilia, she she states over and over again, I don't need a babysitter. I am a babysitter. Right. And then is very clear about how she is a better babysitter than than she feels Aunt Cecilia is. You know, she's like, she's not doing the things for squirt. I play with squirt and whatever. Right. So I think too, that some of that could be that she was like trying to prove something by being the best babysitter for Jackie. Mm -hmm. She even at one point mentions that, you know, if David Michael won, that would be like Christy won and beat her. And, and at the time, it was frustrating to read because I was like, you literally said that and still don't get it. Because the next sentence is like, she was like, but whatever, I'm, I'm like, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I was like, damn it, you were so close. (laughs) Connect the dot, connect the dot. So anyway, that to me could also be a headcanon that makes sense that, you know, she's using this as a way to prove that she's a better babysitter than than Aunt Cecilia. Although I don't know that I love that that's how Aunt Cecilia phrased it at the end. So when they have their Danny Tanner, everybody talks about their feelings moment. Aunt Cecilia admits that she is also intimidated by Jesse's babysitting skills and I mean, I think that there that she could admit that, you know, that Jesse's so good with Becca and Squirt and she has this relationship with them that that Aunt Cecilia doesn't. And so she knows their routines better and that, you know, that made her feel insecure. But the way she phrases it, it is really like, you're just such a great babysitter. I could never measure up. And I'm like, okay, right. You're a, a grown adult telling an 11 year old. But I could never measure up to your babysitting skills. I'm yeah. like, okay, let's let's dial that back like two notches. Well, and that was definitely one of those things. And I know we've touched on this in other books, especially 
as we've gotten into the more recent books, like our babysitters can do nothing wrong and they're perfect mm-hmm. and they're amazing at everything. And when, yeah, when Anne Cecilia was like, I was just so worried that I wouldn't be able to be as good a babysitter as you are. It's like, okay, there's no way that you think that specific thought. Cause like what you said, like, the feeling like maybe she doesn't know exactly the right way to do it or that Jesse, because these are her siblings and she sees them so much, it, she knows the better way to handle them, blah, blah, blah. But, like, that's not what Aunt Cecilia said. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a little bit like there's no way that that's what she was feeling. She was, If she was feeling anything, it was more like what you described. But the way, the fact that she says that is just another one of those examples of, you know, our girls doing no wrong and knowing everything and – it, it it gets a little old, as we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, because it, it just swings to an extreme. Like, I want to see someone who's flawed, but in a real way and not in a I'm doing this for a plot way. Because it, it that sort right. of minimizes the power of those bad choices. It's like when Dawn went so overboard against Marianne in, when she moved in that, like, we couldn't even enjoy the the actual good part of the message because it wasn't a good message right. because they it was it was such an extreme so i i mean again children's books not really a place where we're talking about nuance but i think that there is room for a little bit more of it and I, to be fair in the in the recent adaptations there seems to be of the tv show anyway mm-hmm. seems to be a little bit more of that the girls don't seem quite as can do no wrong um right I mean, still definitely modeling behavior, role models, people you want to aspire to be like, but not quite this level of like. But still have some flaws. (laughs) Yeah. And adults like bowing down to their superior knowledge and like Christy walking out and like telling the deadbeat parents what needs to happen. And, you know, Claudia handling the the special language delay needs of, (laughs) you know, of Emily Michelle. So. Yeah, it just just a little bit overboard in terms of the, you know, you're so brilliant at everything. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't measure up to your babysitting skills. It was like yes. I was like, all right, okay, right, okay, slow your roll, take a chill pill. Like, no, <laughs> there's no way you feel that way. Uh, especially if she was like as severe as they made her sound. Like, there's no way. Like, that's just too extreme. But so we've avoided it long enough. I think we should tackle at least a little bit of the the potential interesting racial conflict that they brought up and then just completely backed away from and backed away from so hard it landed in the most yikes analogy metaphor uh, oof 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 so basically Aunt Cecilia explains that some of her behavior especially around decorum and appearance and propriety and like you know like Jesse's hair and not, them not and not slouching and presenting well is around racism as around understanding that black people she explicitly says often have to work twice as hard to get where they are and that is a fascinating in- concept to introduce that is certainly true we're still talking about that mm-hmm. and the the injustice of that but then that is immediately followed by Jesse being like you know what you're really right Jackie Radowski is a total klutz and he has to work extra hard to make up for that innate klutziness. So I, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. And I'm like, seriously, a like wealthy white child in suburban Connecticut who is klutzy is not nearly the same fucking thing. And to put that in the black character's mouth is just. Right. It, I mean, like it was bad enough. I 
can't remember which book it was at this point. I, wherever they were at camp, I don't know. When they had the like crazy racist girls and Jesse was very – she well, they were just mean. Jesse thought it was potentially that they were racist against her because they were particularly awful to her. And Mallory was the one that was like, oh, no, it's totally fine. It's just because they're mean. And like – Oh, oh will, no, Mallory's explicitly said, maybe don't make everything about race. Oh, that's right. It was like, so bad. That was that out. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, it, like, that's the thing is, like, in that situation, at least it wasn't Jesse being like, no, I'm definitely making too many things about race. Like, but here, it's her that's doing it, which makes it even worse. And obviously, these are all, well, maybe not all. We, we don't know who all of the ghostwriters are. But this one in particular, we know was written by a middle-aged white woman from, mm-hmm. you know, Connecticut or upstate New York, wherever Anna Martin lived. Like, she had no no right to put that in Jesse's mouth. Like, yeah, no right. <laughs> well, and then the fact that everybody just nods and smiles and like, yeah, what a great connection you just made there, right. Jesse. Like, I can even see her maybe making that connection as a child and then having her parents be like, no, you know, this is a bigger conversation. This is something that we're going to have to deal with as you get older and blah, blah, blah. And like... I feel like as a ballerina, that should absolutely be something that is is something that she's she's eleven. These are conversations mm-hmm. that in a real black family they would have had already. That the, this is not a you know first time hearing about the double standard at eleven. Like that's not no. I, especially when they moved to Stony Brook, if it was off as awful as they right. sort of allude to every time. On top of that, once again. We got the description of Claudia as exotic. Mm-hmm. So that fun one that we haven't had for a while popping back up there. But there is zero interrogation of her racial identity other than the fact that she looks exotic. Her It's only about her appearance and her hair. Her mm-hmm. heritage has has no never mind. Like Jesse talks about the the racial aspect of Stony Brook. She talks about, well, she calls it mixed up, which I didn't really particularly love that phrase. Yeah. In terms of, she talked about where she used to live in New Jersey. It was really mixed up and whites and blacks were all together. And first of all, I'm I'm quoting that. It, it is says whites and blacks were all mixed up together, which, yeah. yikes. But what really struck me in that moment, because it, it came, that came like right before the description of Claudia as exotic. This is, the, you know, the, with the introduction of mm-hmm. who I am, who the characters are, is they seem to only think that race has anything to do with black or white. She talks about how black and white people are are integrated, but there's no mention mm-hmm. of Latinx, Asian American, Afro Latinx, like any other kind of racial. There is no. It's it's black or white, and if it's not black or white, right. then it's not involved at all. And I mean, I I know that we do get a book where we talk where Claudia's race is explored along with Jesse's because mm-hmm. I remember that one very vividly. I'm pretty sure it was in New York uh, that there were some parents who were like, "Ooh, no, they can't babysit our kids." Keep out Claudia. And looking back, I, I wonder if that is – if it was in New York. Because that would make sense. That would be interesting that they didn't want to have Stony Brook parents represented in that. Something to keep in mind when we get to that. But either way, getting way ahead. I know that's a book. I don't clearly don't remember all the details. But so I know they engage with it at some point. But I'm pretty sure that's like way down the line. And mm-hmm. – it was definitely after I stopped reading because I know – like I've seen the cover of that book and I think 
maybe one of our listeners reached out and had a, a com- comments about that when we were talking about Claudia's background in the past. Yeah. But I remember looking at the cover and being like, I do not remember this, but I can tell based on what this cover looks like that it's not going to be a great situation for Claudia in this book. Yeah. it's a, The short version is – I think maybe we talked about it with Anna a little bit, and I don't know if that made it in the episode mm-hmm. or if that was part of just our offline conversation. But basically, the the plot line is racist people. They say Claudia and Jesse are not, you know, they they can have any babysitter in the club except for Claudia or Jesse. Mm-hmm. And to my recollection, and granted, I was not reading these with you know through a racial justice lens at ten. And even if I was, it was the 90s. So this was the Rachel Justice lens that I was reading it from because I was a white girl in the suburbs in the 90s. And that was the messaging that we were getting from here. Oh, that's just an Ouroboros of just eating its tail. In any case, it is really, really fascinating. And I think, again, I'm not anywhere near qualified to to speak on it, but I think it says some really interesting things about – model minority status and, you know, not being other enough, that it's exotic, that it's purely about, you know, that looks based, that that is, that it doesn't have the same baggage, certainly in the 90s. We were really only talking about black and white. And, And so that's really a fascinating time capsule of how that was just complete erasure of other cultural identities. And I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. I mean, We've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We could conservatively talk mm-hmm. about it forever. But those were my big <laughs> observations about that. Did you have anything else that you were thinking about? Yeah. No, I, it really was mostly just like the fact that, like you pointed out, you know, these books, at least up till this point and probably up until we get Keep Out Claudia, it really is just the Babysitter's Club and Jesse because she's black and they're not black. Mm-hmm. Which means they're white, you know, because it really is. Aside from Cla- like you said, aside from Claudia being "quote unquote" exotic with almond-shaped eyes, there's not really any examination of her heritage or you know her racial background. Aside from Mimi liking tea, yeah. you know, and that is obviously I'm. <laughs> it's more than that. I'm, but that's you know the simplification that I just used. But it it just really is interesting. And I do think that it really is a reflection of what the nineties were like and late eighties, because it really was the only racial issue that you need to be concerned about is the way that black people are treated in our country, as opposed to how everyone else is treated. And as we have discussed, as we've definitely been thinking more and more about even more recently, like that is not the case. I'm glad that we're finally thinking about it. But looking back at these books, it really is a reminder. And like you said, it's that Ouroboros, like we learned this from here, and we got it back from here. And it just sort of kept repeating itself and made it easy for us to all and by us, I mean, you know, people like you and me growing up at that age and being white and affluent and living in the suburbs, like, it made it easy to only think about, oh, it's difficult for black people in certain situations mm-hmm. at the end. Like you didn't you didn't have to examine anything beyond that. And it's unfortunate that the Babysitters Club didn't take that opportunity to be something more. I fully agree. And I, I think it's even more distressing that we still have such a, a long way to go around Asian representation. I mean – the the amount of surprise that has been a response to a lot of the stop AAPI hate campaigns, mm-hmm. I, 
I'm I'm shocked at the at the level of surprise that people seem right. to be like, what is this about? Well, there's no discrimination against Asian people. And I'm like, what? where have you been? Like, Right. I, yeah. It's like, why are we even talking about this? This isn't a problem. It's like, hello, look at the world. Uh, I think it's good that it's all coming out. And I, I certainly am not trying to take any kind of like moral authority high, high ground. It, it's been Mm-hmm. a learning process for me as well certainly over the years as as we've acknowledged definitely and and certainly the degree to which asian presenting racist events i don't know i mm-hmm. basically bigotry is is showing up and and and, yeah. and more active bigotry and and emboldened bigotry and it, it's really on the rise against jewish people as well and and i think it's been a a tough wake up call over the last couple of years for people. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously the early 2000s really brought into stark relief Islamophobia and and some Middle Eastern racism, and that became the real big target. You're right. There's so much more there. And it is really unfortunate that uh, for so long, it all sort of got lumped into black or white. And if we all just hold hands in kumbaya and, and not instead, you know, look at the different cultural experiences and the different cultural effects of of each of these different heritages and backgrounds and, and things of that nature. So, mm-hmm. all right. So we've tackled that. Uh, and I'm sure, not I'm sure, I know for a fact, seeing as how we know for a fact that Keep Out Claudia is coming up, we will be talking about this right. again. So um, <laughs> it will come up. <laughs> this is not the end of the conversation by any means. For sure. So what about you? Any other big ideas? I've got a bunch of other little, not a bunch, but I've got a couple of little observations, but those were sort of my big, my big picture thoughts mm-hmm. on it. You, you sort of hit the nail on the head when you were starting your description where there's a lot of things that happen, but also at the same time, there's not really a lot of plot, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that, I definitely, I mean, I, when I did our, our recording guide, I obviously put, I always try to have like four or five at least topics, but like. They're all sort of generic things like pranks, science fairs. Like, eh, I don't really want to talk about those things. And, and they're things <laughs> so, we've talked about before multiple times. Right, and like, exactly. exactly. I mean, not the science fair, but, you know, the the competition factor and the taking over for the kids. Right. And the, yeah. I mean, it, it was a lot of, of remix, retread of things. We've we had the Arnolds and the prank wars and uh, what's-her-face who broke Claudia's arm and, you know. I was disappointed that we didn't get a Sound of Music reference, though. So you were right. I was shocked. I mean, especially because the first few things that they do are, like, exactly what Mm -hmm. the Von Trapp kids did to Maria. And it's like – and that's, like, a reference that makes sense. They're referencing the Brady Bunch, for God's sake. Like, the Sound of Music is a classic. It has been around forever. Not really forever. But, you know, like, to these kids, that movie is old but awesome. And they would have seen it. And – it, it's basically what happens in this story. <laughs> like, exactly. you get a new governess. You get your aunt to move in to basically act as your nanny. Like, it makes perfect sense. If, I, like, especially because Becca's the one that initially, like, suggests it. Like, that movie is 100% something that Becca and Charlotte mm-hmm. watch every time they have a slumber party. So I really am disappointed that they didn't call that out because I don't find any issue – like, and we've talked about this. Like, sometimes there's real pop culture reference in these books. Sometimes there's made up pop culture. The sound of music is 100% in the same vein as those real pop culture items that are referenced. And it is so on point here that I am 
angry retroactively <laughs> that it was not included. <laughs> I, I second that anger. And especially because I know for a fact that they have referenced Sound of Music before, because I remember listing that as one of the things when I was noting, you know, real versus fake. That has been mm-hmm. mentioned as one of their, like, just in passing, like, they haven't really referenced you know, like how to solve a problem like Maria. But when they were listing movies right. at a sleepover once, that was one of the ones yeah. listed. So, yes, it you're 1,000% right. And that also kind of leads me to the one other thing that I was like, okay, when Stacy her whole thing was, eh, let them plan. They're not actually going to do it. I was like, Becca literally just told you, I've done these things. Right. So maybe – I mean, the things they were planning were much more over the top. Right. But – they have done some things, so why would you would think that it wouldn't escalate? And, like, I like the idea of it being good for you to get some, you know, catharsis out of imaginary revenge, as she mentioned. That, totally get. Right. But I feel like it warranted at least a little bit of a conversation about, you know, <laughs> boundaries. And, or just that, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing those pranks in the first place. Like, Stacy laughing it, uh, about it is not helping the matters. So I don't know. No, exactly. In any case, some really great stuff with that final actual conversation when everybody fessed up to where they were. And, you know, we got all of that typical Ramsey goodness. It just Mm -hmm. is frustrating that it was artificially manufactured in the way to get there. Yeah, definitely. (sighs) All right. Well, As far as random observation goes, I will start with, I mentioned the wonkiness of the timeline. Who the hell knows what is going on here? Because literally, the last book was the super special, and that gets, interestingly enough, referenced multiple times in this book, Mm -hmm. which is not something that's ever really happened before. Like, the consequences of, I mean, they, like, reference back to their adventures, but literal consequences of actions. Exactly. Because we didn't really mention it because, I don't know why, but it... In one of Aunt Cecilia's reasonings for her strictness is how things went down in the super special when Becca got lost. The fact that Jesse was in charge when that happened and she had to call her and then, you know, she came in and like took over, which is why, mm-hmm. you know, even the fact that it, it's Aunt Cecilia, it's interesting we didn't mention that at the beginning, but like with this character that we've already been introduced to, which is fascinating. That's not usually something that happens usually a character gets introduced in a book and then makes an you know like supporting appearance and this was reversed Mm -hmm. so anyway just i mean that's kind of neither here nor there well and it also the fact that it was like immediately the next book because even when we get callbacks in the past it's you know several books later if not you know 10 or 15 as opposed to this one where it's literally the next book that comes out right oh now it's cecilia lives here like oh Okay. And they, like, (laughs) reference what happened over and over again. Like, three or four times they talk about Becca getting lost and what happened when Becca was lost and how that wasn't Jesse's fault and blah, blah, blah. So it was really interesting just to have that be such an active plot point for when that has Mm -hmm. literally never happened before. And of of all the absurd super special ones, like, you know, the super specials are getting more and more ridiculous, as we have noted. But, like, (laughs) let's focus on the one that is already, like, of the ones that could happen – the least likely. I thought that was interesting. Okay. Yeah, definitely interesting. My first thing that I want to bring up, and maybe we can go like round robin on on this instead of you all you and then me. So I have to call out Becca's amazing joke yes. at the very end of the book when 
Jesse and Becca have been pranked and it's all, you know, fun and hugs and kisses with Aunt Cecilia and they're all friends again. So Becca tells this joke. See, a long time ago, there was this Viking, and his name was Rudolph the Red. And one day he looked up at the sky and he said to his wife, it's going to rain today. And his wife said, no, it's not. The sky is blue and the sun is shining. And Rudolph said, but it's still going to rain. And his wife said, is not. And Rudolph said, is too. So finally, his wife said, how can you tell? And his, her husband replied, because Rudolph the Red knows reindeer. <laughs> I'm s- it's so cheesy and I love it so much. I genuinely laughed out loud. And this is what, like, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I was like, okay, you got me, book. I told you, like, about halfway through, you know, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was when Christy was like, this is a lot like the little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. And I was like, okay, book, calling me right. out on my own criticism, like, getting there ahead of me. And then when it ended, exactly. and then they, then they hit that Danny Tanner moment, and then they ended in that joke, I actually ended the book smiling and feeling really positive. Mm-hmm. It was only when I went to go prepare to, you know, talk and, and re-skimmed it and went over my notes that I started to get frustrated with some of those right. those lesser things again. So, I mean, some of it is, as we have knowledge in the past, these books were not written <laughs> to be read in this fashion. So, <laughs> no. So we get, to, Very true. we get to cut a little bit of slack in terms of, of, of that kind of thing. I also loved... Some of Jesse's petulance. Uh, at one point, there is just the sentence, Aunt Cecilia is an old prune, period. Like, it's its own paragraph. <laughs> That's yep. it. And I, I that made me laugh out loud. I was like, okay. Some of the insults they were lobbing her way were pretty good. I mean, Aunt Dictator, which is what they called her, was pretty lame. But old prune? I dug that one. Yeah, that was a good one. I appreciated it. I also appreciated I. I didn't like take the whole paragraph, so I'm not really sure what this was in reference to. Maybe you'll remember when I say it. But it, in Chapter 10, they're at a Babysitter's Club meeting, and Christy says, right, everybody make a mental note of that. And Jessie, in her narration, in parentheses, says, Claudia pretended to write something across her forehead. Like, that is such a Claudia thing to do. And the fact that it's called out by Jessie in parentheses in her narration was just like – so funny. I loved it. I loved that one. That was so funny. I made a note of that one too. That was so cute because I was so Claude. That was like right at the very end. I can't remember what they were making a, a note of, but that was a cute one. I had the all the foreshadowing. So you mentioned Stacy saying she's not feeling mm-hmm. really well, needs to go to the doctor. Dawn going. And they, they really laid into the Dawn missing her family. And eh, they talked about – Jesse mentioned how, you know, they're moving in. She goes, deep down, I think they're happy to be stepsisters. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, that's not deep down. That's what they were putting on the surface. The deep down, they're not yes. that happy to be stepsisters. <laughs> you kind of had that backwards there, Jess. Or and not not that happy to be st- – Well, they're happier now yes. because they don't have to share a bedroom. Correct. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we've seen the end of the conflict between Don and Mariana's stepsisters. Yeah. I, I don't think so either. But the, one of the things that really stuck out for me that is something we've noted before in, in passing, but I want to mention it here again, is the idea of what is immature and what is mature. Because when she introduces Christy, she says that Christy is more immature than the rest of the club. She's not interested in fashion or boys or something. maybe one other thing she listed there. But basically it was Christy's not really that interested in boys or fashion or makeup or hair or jewelry. So Mm -hmm. she's not, so she's immature when in fact, I would argue that Christy is the most mature of them all. So I think 
my question around that, and that really sort of struck me this time, and the reason I'm bringing up now is I I can't decide if, like, that's Jesse calling Christy mm-hmm. immature and Anna Martin knows that that is actually not true, or if that is how she is defining maturity and immaturity for the girls. And I genuinely don't know. I mean, I feel like in the universe, that's generally how the girls feel. Because I I don't think – but again, it, it sort of is difficult because if you're reading the book, you maybe aren't thinking about it this much and you're just taking it at face value. But it doesn't feel like to Anna, Martin, and Scholastic that being interested in boys and makeup and clothes makes you mature. You're right. You know, like I, I've, I feel like it really – it sort of is like a, a show don't tell thing, you know. Like we've got the girls, and it's not just Jesse that says that Christy's more immature than the rest of them, or Marianne's slightly immature as well, even though she has a boyfriend. But so we get the characters saying that, but then when we look at what the characters actually do, we do get to see that Christy is a leader and she's very mature and she's responsible, and you know she comes up with plans and she follows through on those plans and she you know helps figure out what the club needs to do next and what her friends need to do and and that's my hope is that people are reading it and i I don't know that necessarily when I was a kid I ever thought that Christy was immature mm-hmm. you know like back thinking back to like our first episode our our sort of intro episode when we were talking about what word each of the girls is. I mean, as much as we hate it and we hated it then, you know, Christy's word was bossy. Mm-hmm. And I think that bossy is very different than immature. I agree. And so I, I, I think you're exactly right that her actions certainly display maturity. But where it sort of gave me pause when I really started thinking about it this time is that that never gets called out as maturity even by the adults in the situation. You know what I mean? Like there's no contrast. It is very show don't tell, which is great for us who are getting that nuance. But for kids, like as much as we appreciate the show don't tell aspect of it, the, the, the demographic reading these books needs the, the tell. (laughs) Like that's, that's the whole point of the Danny Tanner moment at the end. And so what I'm, I'm looking back and kind of like thinking about is yes, she's, she's showing but nobody actually has called that mature in the books. Right. None of the adults have. None of the the girls have acknowledged that as a as a, a form of maturity and the a more important form of maturity than you know interest in boys. In fact, I would say. But they do acknowledge all of the girls acknowledge that it was her idea to come up with the babysitters club and the kid kits were her idea, and I think. I mean, I don't think that girls reading these books, boys reading these books, whoever reading these books would take away the main thing about Christy is that she's immature or that liking clothes makes you immature, liking boys makes you immature, liking girls makes you immature. I don't – despite the fact that they say that, I don't think that even as a kid reading this, despite the fact that no one ever says the opposite, I don't think that anyone would take away Christy's immature and anyone who is like Christy and – doesn't like clothes and fashion and makeup and boys and whatever is immature. Yeah. I think you're right. It was just an interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the immature really stuck out with me. I I think that I don't have nearly as much of friction against it when they talk about babyish, because to me, babyish does imply boys and makeup, but maturity is actually much more what Christy has. And in fact, the obsession with boys and makeup 
to me says immaturity at that in in certain ways just in that like stacy being more concerned with the hot lifeguard at sea city and and stacy's crush and the you know it's not Stacy's crush. What's it called? Boy the Crazy Boy Stacey. Crazy Stacy. Wow. But even like the name Boy Crazy Stacy, you're right. That does imply that she is the one in the wrong and so that that emphasis is How did I forget Boy Crazy Stacy? Wow. <laughs> Apparently it's been a week and it's only Monday. Um, in any case, uh you're right. I I think that's but it's fascinating. I I think it's interesting the things that mm-hmm. they choose to be really explicit about and the things that we don't. And I wonder if, if maybe there's some degree of, of things that just seem so obvious that we don't have to really say it. So, yeah. My only other little random observation was they do explicitly mention Mal's red hair in this. So she is officially a redhead by now and the brown hair is out the window, but I I couldn't remember prior to this, other than our initial shock to hear her described as, as her chestnut brown hair, mm-hmm. we may have missed it earlier, but I'm I'm calling it out. Yeah, right I no, I don't recall it ever being said because I'm sure that we would have noted it because of our shock the first time. So I'm, mm-hmm. my guess is this is the first time that it's more clearly stated that she has red hair. Oh, my gosh. I just remembered we got sidetracked talking about Aunt Celia. But I was talking about the timeline wonkiness in that – the last book, we talked about how that was the super special and how weird it was that they referenced it. But it was also the summer. And now there's a science fair and school is clearly in session, but there's no – like it, last time there was a, you know, first day of school or back to school. I think mm-hmm. – I'm pretty sure there was a back to school dance in our last go-round in eighth grade. But we are officially past the summer and into our – next lap for eighth grade. So that's what I wanted to point out about timeline (laughs) wonkiness until, I don't know, the next book, we may be back in summer. Who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. But I think maybe that's a really good segue to predictions for the next book, which is Dawn and the Older Boy. Do you have any thoughts on that book? Well, really quickly, was there any fashion before we talk about Dawn and the Older Boy? Surprisingly, there was only one description of fashion, and it's sort of like a quick round robin of all of the girls. I think it was sort of funny that, like, as I was reading, I was just sort of like, okay, there's still no fashion. Okay, okay. And then it's the the last Babysitter's Club meeting in Chapter 15 of this book. It's when we finally get some clothes, despite the fact that, as we've talked about, Jesse and Mallory are both, are both very aspirational in with respect to the clothing of the rest of the Babysitter's Club. Obviously, Mallory a little bit more so than Jesse, but I, I was shocked when there was basically no clothing descriptions. But just so that everyone can hear what those descriptions were in this book. Okay. My friends and I were dressed in typical outfits. Typical, but not necessarily traditional. For instance, Stacy was wearing tight black pants that reached just above her ankles and sported a column of four silvery buttons at the bottoms. The buttons were just for show, I think. Over the pants, she was wearing a long, past her knees, blue jacket made of a soft material. Under that, she was wearing a sleeveless blouse. Now that was unusual. Claude was wearing a fake leopard skin vest, a fairly tame blouse, and blue leggings. She had made her jewelry herself, five papier-mâché bracelets that were painted in soft desert colors. 
Marianne and Don had traded outfits, which they do pretty often. That's one nice thing about having a stepsister who's your best friend and also about your size. They were both dressed colorfully and trendily, but not as wildly as Claude and Stace. Then there was Christy in her jeans and turtleneck, and finally Mal and me, also in jeans, but wearing, if I do say so myself, pretty fresh sweatshirts. And Mal had been allowed to buy high-top sneakers with beaded designs on the sides. So we get outfits for all of them, but basically no description of most of those outfits. <laughs> I don't know. I would totally wear the Stacy's outfit as described. It feels like something I might already own. Probably Claudia's too, for that for that matter. But you're right. It is pretty tame. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that there wasn't a ton of fashion, but mm-hmm. at least we got a little hint. I'll take some desert-colored papier-mâché bangles from Claudia any day. Yes, at least there was something. Would have been a very sad book to end without any fashion. <laughs> Indeed. All right, so Dawn and the Older Boy. I don't remember this, and and that is – I know for sure that I read it because I was still reading at this point. I remember the title, but I don't remember – the actual plot at all. I think the only thing I really remember is Dawn being super bitchy and being a little surprised by that. I think she tries to like act cool. And okay, now that I'm talking, I'm pretty sure because I was like, well, why would this be different than Boy Crazy Stacy? Speaking of that, just talking. But I think that the older boy actually likes Dawn. Like they're actually mm-hmm. talking and it's not just her trying to impress him, but it's her trying to like – he likes her and she's like trying to like fit in with his friends and act too big for her britches and maybe puts herself in a – like lies about where she is or like goes somewhere that she shouldn't, something like that. But that's that's all I really have. What about you? Do you remember this one at all? Not really. My I feel like my only vague recollection is yes, the other the boy actually likes her in some way, shape, or form. He's not as old as Scott was in Boy Crazy Stacy. Like he's maybe like fifteen, mm-hmm. not like eighteen. And I think they go to the movies. Ooh. I feel like I remember that. And I I'm so I'm branching off of that, whether or not they actually go to the movies, I'm gonna say that she has to like he invites her to a movie and either like it's R rated and she can't get in or I guess he wouldn't be able to get in but maybe like sort of in what you were saying like she tries to fit with, fit in with his friends like she goes to the movie and it's like not for her you know like cuz she Ooh, she has yeah. her very specific like taste of movies and like she's and but she like sort of fakes who she is to like seem cooler with these with Ooh, him that's and his good. friends yeah but yeah i i don't i'm going to say and I guess this isn't a very, like, dramatic prediction. But, like, I feel like it's not going to be, like, a huge, like, overly dramatic plot. Like, I think I think there's going to be some hijinks and some lessons will be learned. But I don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be, like, huge fights with Dawn and the rest of the Babysitter's Club. I think there will be some disagreements because there usually are. But, like, I don't think this is going to be one of those, like, fireworks, big, ridiculous, over-the-top plots – I think it'll just be sort of like a normal, like maybe kind of fluffy book. So that is fascinating because as you were talking about the movies, I was like, ooh, I think they – I remember something or maybe this is just my brain creating a plot for me. Could very well be. (laughs) But I'm going to go the other way and predict it is much more dramatic. And this – I think you're exactly right that it's not – it's older but not inappropriate older. Like it makes sense that they would Mm – you know, he would like her. But right. that in trying to fit in with his friends, it's more that she's a part of the group. It's less like dating because they don't – I don't remember that part 
but could be, but you know, more part of the group, but they want her to, or they like make fun of the babysitters club and Dawn like takes part and like turns her back and like refers to them as babies. And then it becomes like Dawn versus the babysitters club. And like, she throws him under the bus to try to look cool Mm. with his friends. Interesting. Well, now I'm even more excited to read this one and see Me too. what actually happens. Because either way, I think it's going to be a fun dis- discussion. Although, I guess I'm not taking into account the third option where we're both completely wrong and it's something like super depressing and we hate ourselves after we finish reading it because we are so sad. <laughs> yeah, let's. Let, let, uh, well, we could go like fingers, fingers crossed it's not that one. <laughs> we'll give the like third um, completely off the wall option that this is the random Lurleen McDaniel Babysitter's Club book where the older boy <laughs> is like dying of cancer and Dawn has to hold his hand and say goodbye. <laughs> She's a candy striper yes. at the hospital and falls in love with him. <laughs> that's our that's our out of um out of left okay. field third, third third option third choice i like it i like it too i got it now i kind of want to read that book i know well that'll be our next fan fiction that we write it, assuming that this isn't that isn't what happens in this book since fair we enough aren't, yeah uh, you know totally sure it, it could be that book so it 100 percent could <laughs> it's schrodinger's Definitely. cancer patient at this point 100 <laughs> percent um, okay, so any other final club business before we sign off? Why don't you just remind everybody where to find us? We so love hearing from you. Okay, yeah. If you want, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC. We love to get comments and DMs there. But also, if you have more thoughts that you would like to you know, ha- take some time to compose and not have to do in your messages on one of those apps, you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to-